respond to the truth of the, of the death of Jesus for our sins. And, and it's going to show up in our behavior. It's going to show up in our attitude, our affections, our allegiances, our behavior, day-by-day, moment-by-moment choices. Again, it flows out of a relationship with Christ. We don't do those things out of the law to feel guilt and condemnation. We do them out of love and adoration. We do them because, wow, Christ has done everything for us. The Father... He knew us before the foundations of the world, that we might be made holy and blameless before him in love. He has uh, predestined us to be children of his. Wow, praise God. Jesus Christ has rescued us. He has redeemed us from slavery. He has forgiven us our sins. Uh, All of these wonderful truths. The Holy Spirit has indwelt us and then sealed us with his seal, and he will ultimately glorify us. So one great thing after another. What's our response? It is to walk worthy of the calling. So remember the scale that I had up this morning? If you think of a scale, on one pan of the scale is the infinite weight of the gospel. It can't get any loftier, any richer, any greater than it is, right? So on one end of the scale, you have the great weight of the gospel. On the other pan is our behavior. And our behavior and conduct in life should match the weightiness of the gospel. Now, does it? In anybody's life? No, but it should be growing to that direction. We should be moving in that. We should be progressing, right? It's not about, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. Your mind should be more godly, captivated with more of God's truth this week than last week. you agree? Our, our affections and desires should be less now for the world than they were any time previous in our life. We should have a greater love for Christ now than ever before. You agree? So that's progress. That's growth. It's spiritual maturation. You don't give a calculus book to a one-year-old. Who do you give a calculus book to? Somebody who's gone through the basics of algebra, geometry, trigonometry. Then they can move into calculus. But you don't give them calculus at one-year-old. What do you give them at one? Uh, well, not, not, nothing, I guess, because they, they can't comprehend numbers. But whenever they can start comprehending numbers, that's when you give them numbers. And same thing here. Spiritual truth, we, we begin, and then we grow, grow, grow. And we never stop growing during this lifetime. So, how do we walk worthy? The first thing that Paul wants us to do, that God wants us to do, is to guard the unity of the church. Because there's four words you learned this morning. No unity, no power. Right? There's no, if there's no unity in the church, there is no power. The Holy Spirit will not empower us if we're divided. As a matter of fact, a divided house will not stand. It will fall. All right. So we really want God's power. We just, the Holy Spirit's already given us the unity. We just need to guard and protect it. How do we do it? A couple of really nice steps in our walk. Here they are. Ephesians 4, verse 2. We are to walk worthy with all lowliness. Remember that from this morning? Humility. Humility doesn't mean you think little of yourself. It doesn't mean like, well, I'm such a small person. I can't contribute much. I can't give much. I can't do much. That's not humility. And it's not, I'm so great, everybody needs me. That's not humility either. Humility is not even thinking about yourself. You walk into a room and you're not thinking about what do people think of me? What do people, do they like me? You know, that's, humility is simply, I'm not thinking about myself at all. I'm thinking about others. How can I serve others? What do they need? How can I minister to them? How does this glorify God? How does this bring honor to the cross? So humility is simply self-forgetfulness. All right? Self-forgetfulness in the long term. So that's, you do that, Wow, the whole body 
is going to be harmonious, right? Look at the next word, and gentleness. Remember what gentleness is? What was the illustration for gentleness? Abraham and Lot. Abraham had the power to kick Lot out of the promised land. God gave it all to Abraham. But what does he do? He defers his rights and preferences, and he says, Lot, I want to keep peace, and I'll even do it by letting you choose what part of the promised land you want first. Talk about strength under control. So that's how we, we operate with gentleness. I could demand my rights and my preferences, and I could say, but I want my way. But if I do that, I'm just going to create division. I mean, listen, unless it's a sin issue, oh, if it's a doctrinal issue or a sin issue, yeah, we fight to the end, right? We don't want sin to creep into the church. We have to deal with sin aggressively. Doctrinal error we deal with aggressively. But when it comes to the other things, I mean, it's not a big deal, right? It's not a big deal whether this is a white plant or a plant with white flowers or a plant with yellow flowers. I mean, I really, it's not, I may have a preference. I want this to be yellow. And I'll fight to the death if, oh, maybe it is yellow. Well, whatever. I mean, I could fight to the death for something as silly as a plant, right? But not, that's not gentleness. Okay, so with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, we just endure, we put up and remain under trials for a long, long time. Bearing with one another in love. That's the fourth step. We just endure with one, one another in love. Uh, endeavoring, which means to exert all of my energy, uh, lots of energy and diligence to guard. We're guarding the unity of the Spirit. We're not manufacturing it. or mean, We're not manufacturing it. We're guarding it. Right? We're guarding the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Wait a minute. You know what that means? It's going to require something on my, on my part. It's going to require my part to be loving, gentle, humble, accepting, and um, kind. True? All, it's going to require me to do all of those things and accept those that may be like the Jew and the Gentile. How could a Jewish man accept a Gentile in the same church? It's almost as sharp of a division as a, as a Republican accepting a Democrat. And just saying, hey, we're not, that's not an issue. We love Christ or whatever. And those are some gigantic issues, right? So Jew and Gentile would have been the same thing. And this is what brings peace into the church. Now, the, the only thing I want to cover tonight that is new is verses 4, 5, and 6. Here's what Paul does. Paul says, you want, it, you want unity in the church? You guys, we need to commit to a cause or a, a person, Christ, who is greater than anything else. And that's how I ended this morning, right? If anything else becomes more important than Christ and the cross, I'm going to bring division into the church. Honestly, if my parking spot is so vital to me, if, the, if my parking spot becomes way more, more important than the cross, if you park in my parking spot, whoa, look out. Division, right? Hurt and offense. If my pew chair becomes way more important than the cross, we got problems. Do you see what I'm saying? So here, Paul directs us now in the next three verses, four, five, and six, to what unifies our church. Here's something that unifies every single one of us in this. I don't care what sport you like. I don't care what foods you like. I don't care what clothing you like. I don't care what vacations you like. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care your position in society. These are all things that every believer has. Let's, let's look at them. Verse four. This might have been an early creed, or maybe even an early hymn. I'm not sure. Here it is. There is one body and one spirit, 
just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Do you see the repeated word? One, one, one. He's going to talk about the Spirit first, then Jesus, our Savior, and then God the Father. The whole Trinity is involved here in our oneness. Look at verse 4. There is one body. Listen. Everybody, as a believer in Jesus Christ, is part of the same body of Christ. Christ doesn't have many bodies. He has one body. Every true believer is part of that same body. So does my body have to work in unity, in harmony? Does my hand have to cooperate with my eyes? Absolutely. My muscles and sinews, or I don't know what those are, but whatever those are, all of those things have to work together to produce harmony in the one body. So, there, so Tom, Jelaine, you are part of the same body of Christ that I am, that Mrs. Linquist and Pastor Linquist are part of. We're all part of the exact same body, working for the same head, Jesus Christ. So if we're fighting amongst ourselves, we're, we're destroying our... It's like, it's like this hand cutting off my own arm. It makes no sense. It's like this hand pulling out my hair. I would just destroy my body in the long run. So Paul says, wait a minute, people. You are all part of the one body. By the way, this one body also includes people like the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, John, Nathaniel, right? Lydia in Acts 16, Philippian jailer. He's part of the same body of Christ, one body. So isn't it great to know that, you know what, that is far more important than anything else that might divide us. So there's one body, there is one spirit. The same Holy Spirit that dwelt in the Apostle Paul, that directed him to write this, that same Holy Spirit saved you when you trusted in Christ and is in you right now. The same Holy Spirit. Wait, the same Holy Spirit that came as a dove on the Lord Jesus when he was baptized back in The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, that same Holy Spirit is in you and in me. Same Holy Spirit. I don't have a different spirit than you. We have the same Holy Spirit. Convicting, working, empowering, enlightening, guiding, and directing. Same Holy Spirit in all of us. Is that unifying? Oh, you bet it is. The same Holy Spirit that hovered over the darkness on the day of creation, the opening day of creation, is the same Holy Spirit in each one of our bodies right now. That is so unifying. It's not like the Greek pantheon. You know what the Greek pantheon was? Everybody had their own gods and bowed down to their own gods, and every god had their own authority. No. One spirit, one body. Then he goes on. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Listen, everybody. We have the, the same hope. The joy and peace in believing in Christ, that brings us hope. Nobody here is going to find joy and peace or hope anywhere apart from Christ. So we all share the exact same hope, which is our goal, to be with Christ forever. That is our hope, to be in glory. The Holy Spirit is going to glorify all of our bodies. So do you see all that we share just in the Holy Spirit? The same Spirit, the same body, the same hope. It's not like we all have a different goal or mission. It's not like some people are thinking, well, I can't wait till I get to go to be in heaven with Jesus. And then somebody else says, but no, I can't wait till I get to go to, no. We're all going to the same place, meeting the same person. It's just great. Let's talk about the Lord. So there's one body, one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. We all share those things. Now let's move to the Lord Jesus, verse 5. There is one Lord. All right. One master. 
We're, we are all serving the exact same master. He doesn't say savior, one savior, although there is only one savior. There is one Lord. There is one master. We are all servants of the same house, in the same household with the same master. Isn't that great? So I guarantee he's not, whatever the master tells us, it is not going to bring division into the church. If we follow his word, the master is not going to divide his own house. So we have one Lord that we serve. We call upon him. We pray in his name. It's all the same. It's not different for anybody else. We, it, we just share that. We share the one Lord. Listen to this. There's one Lord, one faith. Oh, talk about difficult. As you think of it, as if you were to research what people say one faith is, you get all sorts of answers. I'll give you my own. All right. There's two possible. I think there's two possible possibilities. One is in the Bible, particularly like in the Book of Jude, it says we're to contend for the faith of the saints. The faith of the saints would be the entire Bible. We are to guard and contend for God's truth from Genesis to Revelation. Right. So the one faith could be the one Bible, the one truth of doctrine, or the one faith could be our faith in Jesus Christ. And I think it's that one. I don't think he just moves from the one Lord to the general body of Scripture. I think he says, listen, everybody, we share the same master, we all serve the same master, and we get to him the same way. There's one faith. It is faith in Jesus Christ through what? His death and resurrection. There is only one way to get to Jesus. There's only one way to get to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. So there's only one faith. There's only one message. There's only one way. Nobody else goes to heaven or to be with the Father with any other way except through the name of Jesus Christ. And that that obviously unifies us because now we all got there the same way. How do we get to have Jesus as our Lord? We all went there the same way. There's one faith. It is trust in Jesus' death and resurrection alone, apart from any works. So we're all on a level playing field. One body, one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith. What's the next phrase? One baptism. Again, some people say this is one spirit baptism. Some people say it's water baptism. Do you want to know what I say? I say it's water baptism. I believe that this... I don't. Th- if you were to do spirit baptism, I think you would place it with the spirit. Like there's one spirit baptism, putting you into one body. Kind of like 1 Corinthians 12 does. But since this is tied to the work of Jesus, here's what I think. We have one master, our Savior Jesus. There's only one way to get to him, by trust alone, by grace through faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. And then there's one expression of it. There's, how, do I, how am I identified with him? I get physically water baptized. All right. That's the way, of course, you're not saved through baptism, through water baptism, but it pictures the one faith. Everybody, there's only one, there's only one baptism that we all go through. We, you got baptized, if you, were, if you were baptized by immersion, you went under the water and you came out of the water, just like the Apostle Paul was, just like Peter, James, and John, and all the apostles, just like Lydia was, the Philippian jailer was. There's one baptism. There's not many ways to identify with Christ. There's one way. So we all show that. You want, you want to be part of the body of Christ? Place your faith. There's one faith, death and resurrection of Christ. And then there's one way to express it. You get baptized. All right. Um, 
There's no other secret rituals. There's no other rites. It is simply be baptized. And then he goes on, verse 6. One God and Father of all. We all have the same Heavenly Father. So remember this. There's only one God and Father of all. We all share the same Heavenly Father. Which means the people in the pews with you tonight are brothers and sisters of the same Father. So I have to remember, and we say this in premarital counseling um, a little bit more and more now as the years go, but when I married Melissa, I need to love her and cherish her and treat her kindly and treat her with precious um, honor, things like that. Why? Because she is my Heavenly Father's daughter. I married my Heavenly Father's daughter, and if I do anything to mar his daughter, look out. Any dad, would you feel pretty bad if, if your daughter was hurt? Yeah, absolutely. So our Heavenly Father looks upon his children. We are all children of the same Heavenly Father. This Father, he is above all. He is outside of time. He is outside of space. He is that magnificent and great. He is through all. So he is working through all, and he will bring everything about according to his plan. So every detail in our life is being worked out by the heavenly, our, our same Heavenly Father. And then lastly, he is in us all. Because we have the Holy Spirit, and the Godhead is one. Remember how Jesus said, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me? So basically, we have God dwelling in us, and the Father overall. So that, that's a lot of ones. It just, it's a lot, it's a, it's, it shows you that what connects this group isn't our music. All right? It's not our music. What connects this group isn't just a building on a corner that has some history to it from the 1918 Moose Lake fire that swept up here. Uh, what connects us isn't how much money we make or what jobs we have or what sports we like or what foods we like. It's not even... There's none of those things is what connects this body together. What connects this together for eternity is one Spirit, one Lord, one Heavenly Father. Isn't that great? So then that makes the church so precious. I would much rather be here with you than anywhere else. But, you know, I don't get it. Honestly, I'm going to end right here. I already went too long. But listen, you guys, I don't get it, honestly. Since the day I was saved, October 1st, 1993... Nobody ever had to say to me, Brian, get to church. Before that, they did. Before that, my sister Karen was begging me, come to faith. No, I don't want to. Uh, Bible, no. Jesus, no. But what? something changed. You want to know what changed? When I was born again, I knew, without a shadow of a doubt, this is my place of spiritual growth. This is where I can use my gifts. This is where my new family was. I knew it. Nobody had to ever beg me to go to church. I couldn't wait to go. I wanted to go. Wednesday night, Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday school. If there was a Bible study, I jumped in on that right away. I mean, nobody had to twist my arm and say, well, hey, you're a believer. You really ought to go to church. What I cannot comprehend, listen, I cannot get it even after 24 years of salvation. How can somebody be born again, have the one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one Heavenly Father who is above all, through all, and in you all, and then not want to be together on a regular basis. I cannot get it. For some reason, 
they feel like whatever the unity God wants here, they can find better in front of a TV or out at a ball game or something. I, I don't know. But there's nothing greater when the body of Christ comes together. There's nothing greater than this. Can you believe it? I, I, don't, I don't understand it. And I, and, I, and I do sometimes have to try to beg people and say, well, why don't you come to church? And I'm like, why am I begging them to what they should just flow out of their heart because of Christ? Oh, well. That's for them to decide and for God to work out. I'm just going to do my stuff. And my thing is, I'm going to love the church. I'm going to serve the church for, for God's glory. And I'm, I'm going to just thank the Lord for the church all the time. This is precious. It is precious in his sight. Father, thank you for this first opening point that we had this morning and tonight on unity. It's amazing to me that when you start out talking about our response to the glorious calling that we have in Christ, the depth of our salvation and all that's been given to us spiritually, the first thing you talk about is unity in the church. Because you know, Father, that when we're divided, everything falls apart. So thank you for reminding us at the beginning of our study of bold action that it's not about the, about the preaching or the worship or the music or the evangelism or anything like that. It's really hastening to protect and to guard the unity of the church. Then our worship is pleasing, our preaching will be effective, our evangelism will be powerful. But until there's unity in the church, all of those things will be powerless. And we might as well stop doing them until we get right. So I thank you, Father, that Faith Baptist is right. They're right with you. There is a joy and a peace and a unity, and we are so thankful. We want you to express your power through the Holy Spirit, through us, to our community, that Jesus might receive the reward for his suffering on the cross. There's, there are men and women, boys and girls in our community and our surrounding area that need to be saved so Christ can be glorified in a greater way. That there'll be more worshipers, more people giving thanks, more people serving, a greater body of Christ. That's our goal too, Father. So use this church to accomplish that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.